When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news. You found Premier Retirement Radio with Jeff Fogan. Jeff is the founder of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management, and he's been guiding people financially and into retirement for 30 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. And now here's Jeff Vogan and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jeff Vogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Hey, Jeff, how you doing this weekend? I'm doing great, you know, getting ready for the big game tomorrow. That's uh, well, right. Or, or today for those people listening to this on Sunday. But yeah, go 49ers. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going 49ers. They're getting tired of the Chiefs being in there. They're getting tired of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and all that sort of thing. I was surprised to see Taylor Swift endorsed a candidate. I saw something about how she was involved with some sort of politics and they're hoping she doesn't do that. What do you know about that? I don't know. I've been hearing these rumors like they've been trying to spy her from the Pentagon and other government yeah. sources as somehow some sort of a an asset i suppose and that's <laughs> an the asset. rumors i've been hearing i don't understand whatever and uh yeah i don't know if she's been put in there to try to increase the uh following for the super bowl or whatever i guess since we're not advertising we can call it the super bowl yeah everybody sure. else has to call it big game but anyway super right. bowl is the super bowl i don't know how much of that's manipulated if you know originally the ravens were supposed to have a shot at it because they were doing so well and they fell apart at the last end you know i don't know there's so many rumors about nfl being rigged and all that and i don't know if it is or is and i hope it's not but you know some of the stuff that the issues about Taylor Swift kind of makes me wonder if they're not uh, yeah. maybe overly involving her for uh, the ratings reasons and right. to try to get the uh, Chiefs, you know, happen to be a place where they could uh, make it happen and they knew that they had a chance to get the Super Bowl and play. But, you know, hey, I, like, I love the Brock Purdy story. I think, uh, you know, in the end, he's going to be up there with the kind of stats that uh, Mayhomes has, and he's considered the GOAT already, you know, been put into history as uh, the next GOAT after uh, Tom Brady. And yeah. I don't know that that's going to be true. He's had a, a pretty good team and a great coach. I love Andy Reid. You know, he's a... Uh, from my alma mater, old BYU boy, but you know, make right, good in the right. NFL. He's doing a great job coaching, and and I think he's great. I I would love to see him win another one, but they've already got some. It's been a while since the 49ers have done it. They were my team growing up. You know, I had uh, actually my dad taught school with a guy who uh, Skip Vanderbilt's dad, who played. Skip Vanderbilt was a middle linebacker back when I was a kid. Probably some of the listeners know who that is. Maybe not. He was a good guy, but it was fun to uh, just kind of have a connection there. And then uh, you know the Joe Montana and the uh, yeah. Steve Young, another guy I sat by Steve Young in uh, school at BYU when he was uh, mm-hmm. still there. Actually, he was already. A pro player and he was going back to school and got a, a few 49er connections that kind of still stick in my blood so happy to see Brock Purdy coming around he's a Arizona boy local kid from just up the street here so would love to see them uh, you know get their turn and uh, I don't know just kind of settle the Chiefs down for a bit. Well, I think most people have determined here listening to us through the last couple of minutes here that we're rooting for the 49ers. Nothing against the Chiefs, I guess, but, it, nope. you know, hey, they've been there. They've done that outside of Kansas City. We could talk about sports for the rest of the program here, Jeff, but, I, of course, people have tuned in to us to hear about what's going on in the economy and with their finances and their journey towards retirement. This past uh, Sunday, I understand Fed Chair Jerome Powell was on 60 Minutes. I didn't have a chance to see the program, but the takeaway was that he says that 
that the time is coming to cut the interest rates, but it's not going to be in March. Some people think that it's going to be in May or June. So what do you think about that? Do you think that uh, it's time to cut interest rates? Is Jerome Powell doing the right thing? I think he's kind of walking a tightrope there of uh, causing more inflation or causing a recession. Well, you know, I said before on other programs just in the recent uh, month or two that this Jerome Powell thing to come out at the end of last year and promise to lower interest rates three times, I think that was just a ploy by Wall Street to, hey, Jerome, can you go and uh, say some stuff that'll help us get bigger Christmas bonuses? Because, man, we're really on a roll in 2023, and uh, we'd sure love to have the stock market pumped up even better than it is. And, you know, the theory is dropping interest rates. And then you get the banks. You get the Morgan Stanleys and the Goldman Sachs and the Bank of America, uh, Merrill Lynch, same thing as Bank of America, right. uh, J.P. Morgan, all of them saying, oh, well, we expect six or seven. And, you know, uh, even uh, like nationwide, somebody's a little bit more conservative says, oh, well, we, we think there's only going to be five. But bottom line is everybody's coming up with this theory that there's going to be even more than Powell said. All the while, all the other Fed chairs from the other departments, all these people in the FOMC, Federal Open Market Committee, all the other people that manage Fed and have input at that committee Jerome Powell is just a mouthpiece. I mean, he, I don't think he even has the final say-so. He has to go by the consensus of the group, but they all get their say-so. All the other people in the group, other than Jerome Powell, the mouthpiece that went out and said, oh, we're going to lower rates, expect at least three next year. And everybody thinks, oh, it's going to be as early as March. That's when it's going to happen. But all the other Fed people say, no, we've never even talked about that. That's never even come up. We've got, we've still got inflationary pressures. We've still got economic problems. All the while you've got Janet Yellen, who's basically, you know, grew up, her dad was in the Fed and Treasury and all that kind of stuff. I don't remember what positions yell, but she kind of, she's like a Fed trust baby who kind of inherited this position that somehow she's a guru because she's related to one and has DNA of one, but she's the biggest bozo that I've ever heard talk. Every time she says something's going to happen, it happens the opposite. Mm-hmm. Every time she says, and then, you know, a couple of weeks ago, she's out saying, oh, this is the best economy we've ever had. Really? Well, tell that to the people trying to buy bread at three times what it used to cost. Tell people trying to buy gas for their cars that's double the cost. Tell people right. who you know have to borrow on credit cards to eat and make ends meet or take second jobs, which, by the way, all this big jobs numbers that they always you know fake. You know, ADP says there's like, what was it, under 100,000 jobs created or maybe 100,000-ish. And then the government, they have this new guy, Bernstein, I think is his name, who's supposed to oversee this department, comes up with this uh, new number. Oh, 338 new jobs. Like, really? And they're all government jobs. They're all second mm-hmm. jobs. They're all part-time jobs. All the jobs that we're losing, the hundreds of thousands of dollars every month, the jobs that we're losing are high paying jobs. People like you know, UPS laying off people that make six figures. Right. We had tons of people being laid off from uh, Bank of America. Citibank just announced a big thing. Spotify, whose stock is doing great because yeah. they're, I guess, reducing overhead by 10,000 or 10% of their workforce. All these big companies, just one after the other, just recently, just in the last few weeks, have announced these huge layoff programs. Why? Well, because they're not really making money. Last year, the S&P went up like, what, 30%? Mm -hmm. And earnings on the S&P went up less than 1% on average. 493 stocks broke even while seven stocks, including two that didn't perform, Tesla, which was horrible compared to the others, they're going to kick them out of the uh, Magnuson 7, obviously, and they're probably going to kick them out of the indexes because they're not performing very well. And that's the way they manipulate indexes by just putting certain stocks in there that are doing great that the market makers, the banks, the big banks, can continue to buy and bid up and say stuff like Apple should be $250 stock and it goes up five bucks that day. And, you know, Bank America, who said it laughs because they're selling into this big rally. And then 
You get, you know, Meta, who actually does beat earnings. And, you know, bless their hearts, they did do a lot of advertising. They made some revenues. They've kind of reshifted their focus from all the stuff that they think is going to happen in the future, like this metaverse, this, you know, new virtual reality where you can uh, fake and be somebody you're not and somehow live this fantasy life and probably have the government pay for it while the elite just get richer and, and you know, rule the serfs and peasants that are, you know, hooked on these uh, face masks. Anyway, I'm going, I'm diverting here. But um, <laughs> bottom line is, is Meta did kind of get their act together, make some money. Good for them. And, you know, they deserve it. But how does a stock go up 60 bucks in a day and open $60 higher? It's because there's a whole bunch of market makers that own it. Basically, the, the brokerage industry owns it and go like, oh, let's just raise the price 60 bucks. It wasn't that somebody all of a sudden said, hey, you know, in a normal market, these things grow up gradually. So there's a lot of manipulation, a lot of really weird stuff going on. Now, if I want to bring it full circle, sorry, my ADHD is getting the best of me again. You know, the Fed is just basically puffing smoke and supporting these banks that are just buying a few stocks. NVIDIA's one. Uh, there's another one called the Super Microcomputer going crazy. All these have potential in the AI space. NVIDIA's getting tons of sales. They can't even create the chips. They, they, they have such a backlog. They, don't even, they have to build new buildings and spend billions of dollars that they haven't even spent yet, you know, trying to keep up with these orders that they may or may not be able to even fill, yet somehow the stock goes through the moon. You know, Meta has some real profits, good, but the stock goes up 60 bucks. That's crazy. It's already double fair value before the good earnings. And the good earnings, because last year they lost a ton of money because they were throwing money down rabbit holes that didn't work and doing research uh, of stuff that, you know, is going to be for the future AI, but they decided to get back to their core business and actually make money. So all of a sudden their earnings, which were dismal a year ago, are beat by 25%. Whoopie-doo. Yeah, there's just a lot of disconnect in what's really happened in the market. Fed chair is a puppet for uh, Wall Street, I think, and he just fueled the fire so that we'll overpay for already overpriced stocks and continue to do so, so that they can end up making money. I mean, there's a lot of banking stuff I can talk about here today that, you know, is going to, you know, come full circle and I think is going to cause some serious problems in the banking business. You know, we just saw New York uh, Community Bank close their doors last week. Uh, stock fell 30 or 40 or 50%. Been around since 1859 and all of a sudden they can't make ends meet. Uh, there's a lot of banking uh, on the verge of crisis and the banks are pumping up certain stocks, makes the market look good, yet the economy, is it really good? I mean, GDP went up 3.3%. Oh, the economy's great, says Jenny, better than ever, 3.3%. Okay, that's $1.5 trillion roughly in growth. And most of it's government spending, which they borrow or they take from us as taxpayer money. So I mean, is that really GDP growth? Oh, and by the way, just the debt service on the national debt cost $2 trillion. So we're going in the hole. The GDP, we're not growing our economy. We're getting deeper and deeper in a hole because we can't even keep up with the inflation or the debt service that we've already created, which has actually spiked the inflation and caused a lot of the problems that we're in. So you've got that to be looking at. Again, I heard Biden say out of his mouth, we're in the best manufacturing revolution, renaissance, whatever is a recovery ever in the history of the country. Yet there's like 11 different territories that gauge manufacturing. And I believe every one of them is down, some down double digits, but every manufacturing center manufacturing is down. How does that equate to a strong, robust economy? Here's another huge, huge divergence. First of all, there's only like two stocks that are actually dragging the entire S&P up, NVIDIA and Microsoft, but Microsoft came in with kind of eh, boring earnings. So it's kind of out of favor. And then Meta came up with better earnings. So now it's Meta and NVIDIA going up just to berserk, absurd levels. You know, a year or two ago when NVIDIA was 200 bucks, you know, they thought it could be a $500 stock in the next four or five years based on AI. It got to 500 bucks within a year. Then they upped the ante and said, well, it could be a 600 stock by the end of next year if they can cover all their sales and stuff. And it goes up to 600 like immediately. Then uh, somebody comes out and says, well, it could be an $800 stock. That was just like, what, a few weeks ago. And it goes up to 700 bucks in like two days. People are willing to just throw money 
And it's, I don't think it's actually people. People are jumping on the boat because it's going fast and they want a wild ride. It's like Mr. Toad's wild ride. I mean, who knows where right. the next turn's going to be. But here's the deal. When it can go up that fast because market makers, banks are only going to buy and put all their money on two or three stocks so they can make it look like everything's fine and so that they can make money. The, the big banks are making money because they're, they're buying all these stocks and their portfolios because they make the market. In other words, they own these stocks. They make the market and these go up, but they're not buying everything. What's being sold at their expense? The divergence between the mid caps and small caps has never been worse. Russell 2000, you know, at the end of the year, I was actually looking at the Russell 2000, some of these value and low cap stocks. And, you know, with the hopes and the anticipation that they would actually have some earnings this year going into next year, because we thought, you know, economically, we were going to do a little bit better than what these reports are showing. And these reports, most of them are BS that look good, but all of them are inflationary in, in nature, which means how can you lower rates? If everything that they say that's going good, like employment, new jobs, and so forth, and inflation's kind of manipulated number, it's not really down where it needs to be to have a healthy economy. How can the Fed lower interest rates? The fact is, is they can't. Now, the ones that do get hurt even more with high interest rates than some of the big companies, even though tech does hate high interest, but by and large, the small and mid-cap companies that are trying to grow and trying to become bigger cap companies need to borrow money. So they haven't been able to uh, do so at a decent rate, and they're struggling. The Russell 2000 in the last couple of years has not had that rebound like the S&P and the Dow did and the NASDAQ. But the S&P, Dow, and NASDAQ is based on just a handful of stocks, a few, the Magnificent 7, which really was only like the Magnificent 3, that actually drove that entire index up because of the way they cap weight the indexes and they kind of fake us out. So everything's being manipulated. It looks like a great ride, but honestly, it's all speculation. There is nothing based on earnings, nothing based on true growth. Pay more for it worth now because next year we think it could actually make some money. Well, last year they said the th same thing and the stock market was break even. Only a few stocks actually made money and grew their uh, earnings. Uh, next year, is it going to be the same? I don't know. I'm sure Fed Chair Powell is going to be you know, a puppet on the strings of not just Wall Street, which have always gone hand in hand. And it's really been to manipulate the monetary system in, in the U.S. since 1913. They didn't need it before. And the country grew to quite a, had an incredible growth since 1700s when the country started going to the early 1900s. But then they got this Fed thing to kind of manipulate and get their fingers in so that they could make sure Wall Street made their due and so they could be in position to, you know, steer elections the right way so the people in power could, you know, have them lower interest rates, make the economy look good, make the markets look good, make people all feel complacent and satisfied that everything's going just fine. And then, you know, for the next three years, they find out what really is going to happen. You know, I think the last four years, we've already found out what's really going to happen if we keep Biden in there. It's going to be crazy inflation. We're going to have higher gas prices, higher food prices, fake jobs, government just spending our money on, you know, fake GDP growth, giving money. By the way, they gave uh, trillions of dollars to banks last year to save them from going out of business. What, what did they do? They bought all their crappy mortgages and their notes that were on like commercial property and things that, you know, weren't paying that were in default. We're going to reset this year. And guess what? In March, all those loans that they made to banks come due the banks actually have to buy those mortgages back. Us as taxpayers currently own trillions of dollars of crappy mortgages that the Fed's going to make them buy back. Or maybe not. Maybe they'll kick that can down the road till after the election. But there's a lot of things that are just disconnects from what's really happening and somebody saying that we're in a great economy going ahead. And I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I'm just saying this market that's getting ahead of us and we keep hearing the news saying, oh, these companies are making so much money. Well, what about AMD didn't make money? Microsoft was disappointing. FedEx really disappointing. UPS laying off tons of people disappointing. It's just not really happening on a broad base. But if you can just pick Meta and Amazon out of two or NVIDIA who's selling stuff they can't even fill orders for and call that the entire economy's good. I mean, look at the Russell 2000 flat and going down now. That divergence has never been wrong. It's always ended in a sell-off of the big stocks and always ended in a recession. Got the yield curve inverted, always ends in recession. The only way I can see the Fed 
back to your question, lowering interest rates, and it's not going to happen in March because they already said, oh, there's too many inflationary pressures. Right. You know, we've created all these extra jobs and, you know, there's still enough rich people spending money that, you know, there's still time. We still need to milk some more money out of the stock market because we're going to tell everybody it's just fine. Well, until the banks need to sell the stocks, either buy back those mortgages they're forced to do so or just to take profits because they want to make profits on their stock trading rather than make profits on loaning people money because they're scared to loan people money and people are scared to borrow money at 6 and 8% for a house and 30% on a credit card. So anyway, this rate cut stuff is uh, is, is a joke. It's just been manip- it's been used to manipulate the market, in my opinion, in a horrible way. We have a bubble. We have multiple bubbles of biblical proportions, let's say. Uh, I don't know what other way to call it. Like it's the Armageddon, the stock market looking like it's, it's, it's uh, lining up to happen. Like I said, I don't want to be a doom and gloom, but I just want to be a realist. I want to get prices of stock back to normal values where they make sense to buy. I want to take the ride up next time that the economy actually is growing when we kind of get this settled out. There are cycles in the economy. We go through cycles. We have to have resets once in a while. So what? Over the next 30 years of your retirement, you're going to have a few of them. This is just one of them that is staring us in the face right now, and they're trying to fake like it's not going to happen. Bottom line is, I think you need to be more defensive than offensive unless you're a speculator and you have money to lose. It's just like rolling the dice on a craps table. You may or may not win. So that's my take on the rate cuts and the, the fake news that we've been getting about, you know, why the market's doing great. We're talking with Jeff Wogan on Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and also up in Mesa. Once again, if you'd like to sit down and talk with Jeff, it's obvious that Jeff really does study this market, knows what's going on, and he uses that knowledge and experience to put you in a good position to get you where you need to be in retirement and to help you make the best choices when it comes to your retirement investments. If you'd like to talk to Jeff about your individual situation, once again, we offer a no cost and no obligation. We call it our Premier Retirement Roadmap. To get yours, call 520-780-9059. You can do it this weekend if you want. Leave your information there. That is your uh, name and telephone number. Shelly will give you a call back on Monday or Tuesday. Set up an appointment with you to talk to Jeff. Once again, that number is 520-780-9059. Remember, this is just a casual conversation. We're not going to try to sell you anything in this conversation at all. It's just a chance for you to ask your questions, sort of a discovery session, if you will, to put you on the path that you need to be on to get you towards an optimal retirement. Once again, that telephone number, 520-780-9059. There is no cost. There is no obligation for this. You can also request your plan online at premret.com. That's P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, last Friday, the number of losers was twice the number of winners in the S&P 500. That is something that last happened in 1987, the day after Black Monday. Yeah, that, I was uh, touching on that earlier when I was on my rant to start this show. I always guess, like, <laughs> you know, some people call it a monologue. I call it my, uh, it's a monologue, you know, yeah. my, my, my weekend mono rant. Anyway, so, um, you know, the, the thing is, is there's a lot of things that we're not being told. And of course, the news, politics, Wall Street are kind of in cahoots with each other to uh, make everything seem rosy, like there's a, a great picture. So all they talk about is, you know, the two companies that made money and beat the earnings estimates. By the way, the earnings estimates are revised down from a couple of years ago. They're still lower than they were a couple of years ago. Some of these stocks barely got back to even where they were just recently. So it's been, you know, have you really made money in the last couple of years just because uh, the market's doing good? Well, if you stayed in the thing, you're still probably struggling if you have more than one or two stocks. So the breadth is horrible. Breadth, meaning the wide array of stocks that we can have. And there's, you know, what, a couple thousand of them. You've got the Russell 2000. You've got 5,000 stocks actually this if you wanted to talk about the Wilshire and it's, you know, it's been kind of boring as well. But the Russell 2000 is still down from where it was a couple of years ago. And there's a an ETF, you can track the, the symbol, it's uh, IWM, 
IWM, and I'm just going to look at it right today to see how it's been doing. Over the last two years, it's basically not even back to break even. It's been trying to kind of get back into favor every time the market has like a sell-off, but it's still down for the last two years. We had a nice little run-up from October when Fed said he's going to lower interest rates and, and everybody got on the bandwagon. All of a sudden, it started supporting the idea that these smaller and mid-cap stocks could actually perform and those indexes could get back into favor. My feeling was perfect timing. It's finally showing that we've got some uh, potential. Let's invest in the small and, and the uh, the moderate-sized companies because they have a lot more room to go to get back to even where they were in these other overblown, overpriced companies have already been way out of the, kind of way back into the stratosphere price-wise. And, you know, you just don't want to chase them. But, you know, the the breadth of the market just in the, like the big caps and the S&P was horrible. But you look at all the stuff that's staying flat. And by the way, since roughly the end of December till now, the uh, Russell is down about 10%. So why is that down 10% when the market's up four or five? in the same period of time. That's called a divergence, and that's really bad if you look at history. Every time that's happened, it's ended very badly. Every time the yield curve is inverted, it's ended very badly. And we're talking about hard landing, not soft landing, not avoiding a recession. So I don't know that there's a way out if history, which has never been wrong so far, uh, doesn't repeat again. Now it might take some time for it to all shake out, but you've also got the, the yield curve inversion, meaning the shorter term interest rates are um, higher than the longer term interest rates. You've also got leading economic indicators falling, yet on the news we hear, we've never had better manufacturing. Wrong, it's falling. Oh, we've never been ha having better housing. Wrong. All the builders, I mean, look what the builders are doing. They're falling. Construction companies falling. We are not seeing the economic indicators other than just a stock market with semiconductors, you know, leading the charge, which by the way, have been pretty weak this uh, last week, kind of giving back some of the profits and kind of coming back to a sense of reality that they're way overblown and overpriced. And I think there's some smart money out there that knows that the banks are sitting on a pile of profits that in order to save the day for when things get sticky and they have to start paying back some of their federal money they borrowed last year to you know save themselves from going under, they're going to have to sell some of that stuff. And if there's a big sell-off, that's just uh, the first domino that falls. And guess what? They all get out, they all make their profits, and guess who gets holding the bag? It's the 401k owner. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really have any choices that only can go into mutual funds that buy and sell this stuff and that have to stay in the market. There's, uh, you know, the day traders might be able to get out in time, but uh, sometimes they get a little bit overconfident because they've had such a jaded decade for the last 10 years. And then there's the people just say, oh, well, I've been told to just buy and hold and wait this thing out. Well, okay, wait it out. Go down 50%, wait seven or eight years for it to come back, whatever. Do what you want to do. But that's the story of, of what typically happens. The market breath is horrible. You know, two stocks going out, like you said, this only happens like after Black Friday, yeah. whatever's like, uh-oh, we're selling off. So why are they selling off more stocks than they're buying? But the only ones that you hear about are the ones that people are buying and just stuffing way too much money into, making the price and the value just overly valued. You know, why would people be buying a, a Toyota Corolla for $200,000 right now? Well, that seems yeah. like what they're doing with stocks. Why can't we wait till the price of that Toyota Corolla 20 years from now is really worth 200000 You know, it makes more sense. But right now we're so, we're buying all these hype stocks, but the real value of the stocks, knowing that these companies are losing money, their earnings are going down, not up, and their stock prices on the broader market is reflecting the true economy. So it's just a real shell game. It's uh, really, it's, you know, what you call it? A selective uh, marketing, selective reporting selective uh, just to support you know wall street and uh, the elected officials that are you know in power right now and they're using powell to lie to us they're using the jobs report guy bernstein or whatever the guy's name is to tell us about jobs that 
you know, can be backed up by ADP, which is the one that has a pretty dang good handle on how many new people get hit payroll because they process more payroll checks than anybody. And they can extrapolate that over the population and know pretty much where real jobs go. And yet we got this new fake number that makes it look like, oh, the economy's doing great. Keep buying stocks. Uh, we might not lower interest rate, but look at how high the stock market's going. You should keep jumping in. So what? So that the banks can get out. I don't know. I don't know how this thing ends, but history says we're in, in a bubble of, uh, we're in several bubbles and all bubbles end up popping. So I just don't want to be in the way of a popping bubble. Yeah. And what I really enjoy about these conversations, Jeff, is that you obviously have studied this stuff. You know what you're talking about. The other radio shows that I hear that try to be like ours really talk about stocks and bonds and annuities and so forth. So if you're looking for a deep dive into what's happening in the market and the economy and the way that it applies to you and your portfolio, again, Jeff Ogan is your man here at Premier Retirement. I mean, if you want to talk to an advisor who wants to sell you a standardized stock bond portfolio, there are a lot of them who will do that. If you want your eggs in an annuity basket, go elsewhere. But if you're looking for someone who really understands this stuff, who goes beyond a product sales pitch and focuses on the lifestyle that you want to live in retirement, this is the place for you. I would encourage you to call Jeff Ogan here at Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Get in and sit down and talk about your individual situation. Jeff will be happy to talk to you and answer the questions that you need to put you on a path towards a confident retirement. That telephone number, 520-780-9059. It's 520-780-9059. No cost, no obligation, no judgment. It's just a casual conversation. Make that call today. 520-780-9059 because this one call could make all the difference. Jeff, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got listener questions and more when our show continues here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. You can't start a trip you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. To request your no-cost Premier Retirement Roadmap, call 580-780-9059 or request it online at premret.com. Now back to more Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan and Jeff Shea. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Premier Retirement with Jeff Bogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and Mesa. Once again, if you have missed the first part of our show, you've missed a great conversation about the market and the economy. If you want to hear it all over again, or as I've said, if you've missed any part of the show, you can hear it by going to our podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast, search for Premier Retirement with Jeff Bogan. You'll find this show and many of our past shows so you can stay on top of your journey towards a successful retirement. Okay, Jeff, in this section, we do listener questions this week. As always, we have three of them. We'll kick it off with Jerry listening to us in Tucson, and he writes, I have two retirement accounts managed by a large broker, but they perform below the S&P 500 and other indices in 2023. I also have accounts I manage myself, and these performed above major indices. I'm paying a pretty fair amount of fees to have my accounts managed, but after two years, I'm not thinking it's worth it anymore. Based on the latest review, I feel like I can manage and grow my accounts much better on my own. Am I really looking at this the right way? Well, yeah, I don't know that you're looking at the right way. If you've been taking advantage of this run-up, this manipulation of just a few power stocks like the Magnificent Seven, you could do really well. But you can also remember what they did. They underperformed and lost, you know, on average like 70% of their value if you consider, you know, some of the, the losses that went down a lot in 2022. So, you know, where there's higher returns and beating the S&P doesn't mean you're always going to do it unless you're day trading. And if you're good at it, then do it. I mean, you can use some charting and momentum and see when there's more buy 
buys and sells. There's some really cool charts and trading programs out there that you know would help you know when to get in and out and probably time these stocks a little bit better, regardless of what the fundamentals are. Fundamentals aren't driving the market right now. They're lying to us on the news, but there really aren't any fundamentals. There's the liquidity that the, the government is injecting into the economy through banks was like $4 trillion last year, but they like took out in the monetary tightening like a $3 trillion. So you know, it should have made the market flat, but this other money's circumventing the whole program. So basically they're hiding the fact that they're still doing QE, but they're pretending they're doing a QT, but that's only affecting, you know, the normal citizens and the investors like you and me. It's not affecting uh, the big institutions that they're trying to prop up. So, uh, you know, if you're on board with some of that, great, but just know when to get out. The other thing is, is your advisor might be like us. You know, if you want me to try to beat the S&P, then you better be willing to take all kinds of risk. I don't like that, frankly, because I'm the guy that doesn't want to lose sleep over. I want to sleep on the weekends, just like I want you to sleep on the weekends. I don't want to have everything out at risk just because I can beat the S&P from a month-to-month basis. Now, if you have a you know, three different accounts and you've got one that you say, hey, I want this to be aggressive because I'll never need that money. I just want to shoot for the moon and I don't care if I have to wait. You know, we've got some really good managed accounts. We use some hedge fund managers that are really good at trading and can buy and pick those stocks and have done, you know, very well over the last several years. So you might be able to have access to that, not have the worry or the pressure of doing it yourself and still have similar results to what you're getting right now. We can also use some hedging techniques that might help, you know, minimize the risk a little bit. But I'm guessing that your advisor is probably more diversified than you just picking a few stocks and mutual funds that beat the market because it's really hard to do if you have a diversified portfolio. Mutual funds, for example, have to have a diversified portfolio, yet there's less than 20% of mutual funds beat the indexes. Why? Well, the indexes are cap-weighted, meaning the biggest companies like the Magnificent Seven, which can drive the entire profit. Seven stocks can drive or be accounted for the entire profit of the S&P 500 because 493 stocks you know, basically we're flat. So if you have a diversified portfolio, if you came here and I got audited and I only had you in six stocks, I'd probably say, what's your problem, dude? I mean, how in the world is that a diversified portfolio? Well, it's not. It would be diversified if I had other stuff, like some principal protected accounts, maybe some LERPs that are giving you some tax-free cash flow for other things, or even some uh, short interest bond accounts that are paying five and a half percent right now that, you know, don't have any risk that keep your money liquid and that can keep you in a better position. I mean, if you have 5% money with no risk, you're making money no matter what. Well, you could have made 23% last year, but you could also lost money the year before. If you had a 3 to 5% return over the last two years, you're still ahead of the roller coaster ride in the market. And I would venture to guess that you had a bad 2022 as well. So look at the overall picture. Are you getting a complete plan? Are you paying fees for the complete plan? By the way, we only charge fees for the managed part of our portfolios. We don't uh, charge fees for the comprehensive planning that we do with um, you know some of the tax advantage plans, some of the principal protected plans. Those companies might pay us up front and they never pay us again, but we manage that and we still watch that for you, even though we only make fees on the smaller amount. So your fees would go down in a situation like us. If you hate fees and you're a fee weenie, I get it. But if all you're trying to do is swing for the fence and make a ton of money because you have more than enough income to live on and you like doing what you're doing, then keep doing it until you don't like it. You know, I mean, there's no sense in paying a fee if you're trying to hit home runs and somebody else just wants to keep hitting singles and make sure you stay on base in the next market crash. So again, your values might not be in line with your advisor. And that might be the biggest problem. It might not be just because they're a bad manager. They're managing it within the realm of where they think their best options are. In fact, my best options are I'd rather work really hard for you not to lose money to work really hard to see if I can beat the market and buy NVIDIA as it doubles over the next six months and take a chance on it being chopped in half over the next six months too, because it could go either way. That's speculation. 
investing is a more diversified, slow and steady approach like the tortoise in the race, not the hare. There's a lot of people that uh, claim to be investors and I think they're just speculators. And yeah, from time to time, they can beat the market. Over the long haul, I don't know very many managers, even professional managers that do that. And I don't know that many individuals that have done that unless they've just been in a few stocks because they got lucky. Maybe they worked for a company when it was on a run and they got a bunch of company stock or maybe they were just kind of married to you know that particular stock for a long time. I mean, if you bought Apple stock 30 years ago, when it was the first little penny stock or maybe it wasn't, maybe more than that, but I mean, you're a very rich man now. And you could have done it on one stock. Well, is that the right way to do it? No, you just got lucky. But again, I'm not cutting for what you're doing. You might be very insightful. You might be a really good analyst, even though I don't think fundamentals drive anything with stock market right now. So I don't know how you're doing it other than just jumping on trains that are going fast and beating the market because you've got a lot less stocks than 500. So I would just caution you to make too much judgment about your advisor. Find out what they're doing and why they're doing it. And if your values don't align, then move back and do it yourself. If you say, oh, okay, well, how about I just manage my play money because it's inconsequential to my lifestyle or my long-term plan. But you know, you manage the slow and steady money, Mr. Advisor, and you're worth a fee because you're going to save me from losing 50% of my assets if the market crashes. Jerry, we appreciate you listening to us here in Tucson, and we'll send you out Jeff's book, Retirement the Road Ahead. Okay, Jeff, next question here. Dave is listening to us in Casa Grande, and Dave says, I'll be turning 73 this year and will have to take around $53,000 from my retirement accounts for an RMD. This is going to add about $5,000 to my tax bill for 20 2024. If I take that full $53,000 out today, will I have to pay the Internal Revenue Service quarterly estimated taxes of $1,250 each during the year here in 2024? But if I wait until December 2024 to take out the full $53,000, will I just have to pay the $5,000 in tax when filing my 2024 taxes in April of 25? I can't seem to find an answer to this, so any help would be greatly appreciated. Well, I'm just going to say double check your taxes because um, if you've got Social Security, uh, I'm sure you do. You've got uh, somewhere between 1.2, 1.5 million in IRAs or you wouldn't have to take out the 53,000. You're saying that you're in a 10% marginal tax bracket. I find that hard to believe if you save that much money, you've probably got some good Social Security. That 53,000 is going to be considered provisional income. So even though you may have been living on non-IRA assets plus your Social Security and maybe not paying any tax on your Social Security, guess what? You will now. A lot of your Social Security is going to end up being taxed. In fact, uh, at just because you're pulling out 53000 automatically makes your taxes, whether you're married or not, at least taxed on 85% of your Social Security. So add that to the 53000 You know, take out your you know fourteen or $28,000 standard deduction. Maybe you have a lot of deductions and a lot of write-offs. Maybe it'll only add 5000 to your tax bill. But I just want to say, I think your numbers might be off, so double check that before you get surprised. But as far as the quarterly tax bill, they used to basically let you have start off on the uh, withdrawals and go, oh, my taxes changed but I paid as much as I did the prior year, so I'm good. But the new tax rules, are they're not as lenient as that. So you're supposed to pay quarterly. Technically, if you take it out, if you just wait and take it out in December and pay quarterly on it, you wouldn't really have to pay it till the following year. So if you're taking your tax money out of the IRA, rather than take you know 60,000 out, you know, increase the amount you take out. So you have a little buffer of five to 7,000 for federal and state taxes. Uh, don't do it this year. Take just the $53,000 out at the end of the year if you don't need it. And then you have till, uh, you know, the following month in January next year to actually pay it. Of course, you'll have to pay, take those taxes either out of an account or, well, if the 53,000 is sitting in your bank, you can use the pre-tax money or the already taxed money to pay your taxes. And that way next year, you still only have to pay, you know, 50 something thousand dollars or take $50,000 up depending on how this year goes investment-wise out of your accounts for RMDs. So again, 
you should pay those quarterlies. I would double check your taxes because you're probably going to be short at 5,000 in my mm. opinion, because, uh, you know, the next tax bracket's 12 and then it goes to uh, 22 after that. But, you know, 12% taxes on that, depending on where you're at. So I just have a, a problem believing it's down at five, unless you have a lot of deductions or you really don't have any other income. So, Dave, double-check those numbers. We hope that it uh, comes out okay. And, again, we appreciate you listening to us in Casa Grande. And, again, your book, uh, Retirement the Road Ahead, is on its way to you. Next question, Jeff, is Laura listening to us in Dove Mountain. She writes, I have a 19-year-old college sophomore daughter who's coming into a large sum of money, about $800,000. What's the best way for her to invest and set herself up for the future? Considering her age, I would love for some of that money to be inaccessible to her. Now, if I say the sky is blue, she says, it's green. So I'm not the best person to advise her. I do know she wants to keep some money to live on for the next year or two. But other than that, she has no concrete plans. What is your advice in talking to a 19-year-old or investing $800,000? Man, if I could go back in time and had money like that, or my kids did, I would totally look at a LERP situation. The problem is, is when you're 19, you don't have a net worth. You can't like load it up. However, if you want to have her set up something for the future, for retirement or to front end load it, maybe over seven years, you can do that at age 19. And I've talked about LERPs. It's basically a life insurance. It's basically a tax-free bank. You do through a life insurance company. You overfund life insurance. If something happens to her, let's say, I mean, she'll have it if she's healthy. If she wants to get married later, she'll still have it, you know, cover her family if something happens to her as a mom or whatever. I would look at that as one option to tie some money up, but, you know, look at it, at what the power of that would be. Maybe six figures, much better than a six-figure tax-free income for retirement, even if she wants to retire early. And whatever she sets up in that type of an account, she can use to put as a down payment on a house, to pay mm-hmm. for her first car, to pay for her wedding, whatever. I mean, she could do a lot of stuff with maybe a third of that 800000 You know, also, if she knows more than you, she also probably knows more than any advisor could tell her because, you know, <laughs> she'll tell. I have a problem of believing that I could probably talk any sense into her. Either, oh, well, maybe so. Maybe if... Uh, she came and got to know someone like me around here and said, hey, look, this is this is your long-term plan. Right. The thing is, is if you don't have a plan, you're just going to blow it. I had a, a friend in high school. He was probably 16 or 17 and came into some money. But the trust that his grandpa or uncle or whoever left him was, I, I don't remember how many hundreds of thousands of dollars, but some of it he had to get right away. Right. And it was like $100,000 or something like that. He went and bought a Porsche, ended up wrapping it around a tree and lost Ooh. the money. So I'd say, you know, you, you have that liquid money laying around. Your daughter might just think she looks good in a Ferrari, right? And she might. And I, I'll bet she does. And you know, she buys a right Ferrari, she might not lose any money, but she might wrap it around a tree and the insurance is going to waste the other 800000 $800, So, you know, set up some money, maybe set it up for retirement, look at an investment strategy where you get maybe some guaranteed income and then put maybe a third of it away in some long-term speculative stuff that, you know, is going to grow and be worth millions of dollars when, you know, she gets into her 40s or 50s and wants to retire early and can be a multimillionaire and have tax-free income to support her until Social Security time if she even needs it. So there's a lot you can do with $800,000. That is a lot of money for a 19-year-old kid, especially if you don't spend it all. And if you actually use the law of compounding interest to grow that account over and over again, and if you can save taxes along the way, even better, because now you're compounding not just the returns on the investment, but also compounding the returns on the taxes that you would have had to pay in that account. So, you know, I like aggressive stocks for long term. I like maybe the short term to get her through the next five or 10 years on something that's more income related that she can just, you know, rely on and plan on to be a certain, like maybe a laddered bond concept where for the next 10 years, she knows she's making 40000 a year or whatever 
whatever. It might only cost her about a third of that to do that and a third to set her up for $100,000 a year in tax-free income later and maybe some uh, more aggressive stuff with the other third to uh, you know, see, see if she can make 10x or even more than that on her money uh, and have a few million dollars or more when she gets ready to retire. And uh, Jeff Lohr doesn't say the source of this $800,000. If it's an insurance payout, something like that, that would be tax-free because it's insurance money. But if it is inherited money, does she have to pay taxes on that? I mean, should she be thinking about the tax implication right off the bat before they think about anything else? Well, there is. And you get a step up in basis on most inherited money. So I'm assuming it is after tax or tax-free. But if it is like an IRA, like an inherited IRA, somebody said, hey, I, you know, all my kids are rich, but I want to leave this to my granddaughter, right. the college sophomore, because it'll help her get through school. I'm going to leave my IRA to that person. Then she has only 10 years to deplete that and she will have taxes coming out. But that's obviously something that we would need to put out in the, the income plan spreadsheet to find out, you know, how to get out of it the most, I guess, efficient way. And honestly, for a 19-year-old girl making 80000 thousand dollars over the next 10 years if you had to liquidate it from a uh, an IRA would be a lot smarter than and being in you know a 22 or 24 percent or 25 percent bracket max would be a lot better for a 19 year old who could probably write off some tuition or some college expenses and things like that would keep her maybe even in the 12 bracket but uh, if she took uh, that whole amount out to redeploy it like I suggested earlier and it was an IRA she didn't spend it over three hundred thousand dollars just in taxes uh, mm. when she got out of that so we wouldn't want to do it in lump sum we want to make sure we utilize a plan to get that out in the most uh, tax efficient manner as well. And again, she doesn't say, you know, whether her daughter is going to be going to college, anything like that. Certainly that would help with college expenses. I like the idea of buying a house. I mean, if she put a down payment on a house, I mean, that's a lot. Of, she could probably buy a house outright if she puts a down payment on a house. I mean, today, mortgage rates are at 7%. So there are a lot of details that we don't have about that. And again, Laura, if you'd like to come in and, and bring your daughter with you and talk to Jeff, certainly would invite you to do that. Call 520-780-9059 to schedule your appointment listening to the program today and you've got a question for us, send it in to us by going to primret.com. We'll be happy to answer it on the air. If we do, we will send you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Once again, that number 520-780-9059. That is also the number that you would use to get your no cost, no obligation, premier retirement roadmap. Jeff will talk about an income plan, investments to support your income plan, a tax plan, healthcare cost, and an estate plan. It's just a brief conversation to cover all of those areas to make sure that nothing is left out in your retirement plan. Again, no cost and no obligation for that whatsoever. 520-780-9059. You can call it this weekend. Leave your information and Shelly will give you a call back on Monday. And as always, you can find out more information about our firm online at premret.com. That is P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, every week we talk about a case of the week. So let's dive into it this week. What was your case of the week this past week? Yeah, it might just be the strategy of the week. I've had similar cases like this. Um, a client retired from a, one of the high-tech companies in town. And uh, this person, again, when I talk about net worth, I mean, this person net worth a little over $8 million. If your net worth is $800,000, this whole thing still works for you. Just take a zero off everything I say. If you have $80 million, this technique will still work for you. You just add a zero. So again, it's all relative. So I'm not going to try to say, oh, I only work with $8.5 million. This particular person has some tax problems coming up. They've got you know about $3 million just between IRAs. Well, actually about two and a half, I guess. Uh, they've got some uh, trust assets of some real estate, you know, doing okay. The real estate isn't really a tax problem because it's real estate they use. The assets that are not in IRAs, about 3.8 million of it, is causing them some serious tax issues, right? So why? 
Well, because uh, if it's not just stuck in an ETF or a stock that you're never going to sell, if there's any trading, there's profit taking, you're going to pay taxes along the way. Or if you have mutual funds or if you have a bond component to it, you're going to get interest and you're going to get uh, trading gains or losses on a 1099 every year. You never know how much your taxes could be. They could be, I mean, shoot, you could have in a good year, you could have $400,000 in earnings on that portfolio if it's all in mutual funds and uh, pay taxes on it. So how do you shelter that? Well, we wanted to uh, you know, make sure there was a place to shelter this money. It's all pretty much because it's short-term. It really is mostly short-term traded stuff. He likes to trade a little bit too. But how do we get that into more of a tax-efficient basis? That was one of the questions. The other thing is, I've got all these IRAs and in a few years, we're going to be age 73 and need to take a lot of money out, like eighty dollars to $100,000 out per year of these IRAs. And we know that as we get older, they're going to continue to have to take more and more. So the plan was this. We put about half of the trust assets into an indexed principal protected asset. Now, these people are wise enough to understand. They've been listening to the radio show and, you know, have seen me for a, the past several months. They've just been kind of figuring a lot of things out and finalizing IRA distributions of retirement. So now they're ready to roll. But about half of this money is going to go into a principal protected account that if you backtest, earns anywhere from about 8 to 15%. But if you look forward, let's just say it pays less than the 8. Let's say it's, let's say it's a pays 6, but has no risk to the principal at all. And is tax deferred. You only pay tax when you use that money. So there's half of their tax problem gone, right? They're going to make a nice, very likely much better than CDs, much better than bonds, might even keep up with stocks if the stock market does okay. But if it doesn't, these indexes that we use are principal protected, but they're indexes of index. So they kind of roll with the flow of where the money's going. They're hybrid indexes that you know, we use with uh, JP Morgan's got one of them. Goldman Sachs has one of them, just to name a few. There's some other ones that are S&P related, but I've talked about these assets before. But the cool thing is you can put them in an insured account where the insurance company guards the money for you. They invest your money in safe bonds and they use the interest with some of their hedging techniques to double or triple the amount of interest that you could make on your own. So, hey, why not let them leverage my money in a safe place and do something with it that I can't do and, by the way, get a tax break? Okay, so the other problem is, do we convert this IRA money to a Roth and pay a whole bunch of taxes now, like maybe half a million dollars of, you know, in taxes and, you know, have a million left, but have it in a Roth so we can always take tax-free money out later? Okay, well, that's great. But what if the market crashes and you've already paid taxes on a million and a half dollars in one of the IRAs and the market crashed, now it's only over $750, but you already paid tax on a million and a half? Well, that would stink. Mm -hmm. So let's just do an alternative plan. So this is a, this is a strategy, this is a technique that's kind of cool. There are companies, insurance companies, that do these indexed annuities that uh, actually give you these income riders, little extra income boosts. There's uh, one that'll give you roughly 30% upfront as an income boost. If you die, you don't get the 30%. It actually vests over 10 years, and then it becomes actually part of your account. The income grows over that. This is a 10, kind of a 10-year program. So rather than pay tax on a million and a half all at once, we figured it'd be smarter to convert the Mrs. IRA, the Mrs. Um, a client IRA, about a million and a half, to an index annuity, get the 30% bonus. There's $450,000 and an average rate of return of about 4 or 5% on that account. But you can take the principal out over the next 10 years. So you take the million and a half, $150,000 out each year, and you plug it into Alert, Life Insurance Retirement Plan. 
And immediately, even in the second year, you can start borrowing against your death benefit. I've talked about this a little bit, and this concept might be a little fuzzy if I don't you know, have more of a time frame to, to cover the whole thing. But bottom line is you can buy death insurance, which is what most people call life insurance. You only get paid when you die and somebody else gets rich. How about you put enough money in to buy yourself millions of dollars in life and death benefit or life insurance, but use it during your life. Insurance mm. companies will loan you money against your death benefit at a rate that is comparable or less than the historical rate of return on your account. So if they put one and a half million, the one and a half million in their IRA, they're going to put in over the next several years. Remember they have that, uh, all that 3.8 or so million in non-qualified assets, half of which, about 2 million of which is going to go into the other accounts. But that other 1.8 million can be used to pay the taxes as the money's pulled out. What's left in the IRA is a 30% plus growth. You know, uh, estimated value is going to be somewhere around $800,000 in income account value, which in 10 years is going to be you know a nice income of about $35,000, $40,000 for the rest of their life. In addition to the fact that they just moved $1.5 million over into a LERP life insurance retirement plan where they start first year taking $100,000 a year tax-free for life. Actually, it's a little bit more than that on average, but uh, in their case, you know, $100,000 was, was the number that we used, and that's what they plan to do. So they're going to put $1.5 million from the IRA. They're going to pay taxes on that IRA over time. Hopefully that $150,000 is going to keep them in kind of that 28 bracket rather than going into the 40 bracket that they would if they were trying to convert the whole thing to a Roth right now. So we're going to do it over a period of time because it makes more sense tax-wise to stay in the 28 or 30 bracket rather than be in the 40 bracket one or two times and lop off that big investment capital to the tax man right away. So that's just one way of skinning that cat. Uh, it turns out that their income is actually, their livable income when all this is said and done is going to be about uh, 300000 plus, but they're only going to be paying taxes on about two hundred. Yeah, okay. So 200000 that does get you just you know into that 28 bracket. And okay, so it's a 28 bracket. But if you're only paying tax on 28 or at 28 bracket instead of the 32 bracket, when the tax brackets in 2026 go back to what they were prior to Donald Trump's presidency, which... If he gets in again, maybe he'll extend them. But if he doesn't, they're already sunsetted to go back. That's what's in law right now. The tax rates will be a much higher. So we're probably going to save these guys somewhere around thirty dollars to $40,000 a year in taxes by doing this plan over time. They'll end up getting roughly $3 million in income, mostly tax-free from this million-and-a-half-dollar investment, plus some taxable income, and probably save you know somewhere in the neighborhood of a million dollars in taxes. Not bad. Jeff, we're running a little short of time this week. What I can say to our listeners is that if you would like to sit down with Jeff, have a conversation like I've just had with him for the past hour to ask your questions, again, that number to call is 520-780-9059. Call it this weekend, if you will. Sit down with Jeff, have a casual conversation. No cost, no obligation for that. Get the questions answered that you need to have answered to put you on a path towards a confident retirement. Once again, no cost, no obligation for this. 520-780-9059 or online at premret.com. Jeff, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank our listeners for joining us and have a happy and a safe Super Bowl weekend, won't you? Be sure to join us again next week for another edition of Premier Retirement right here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. Investment advisory services provided through Premier Wealth Advisors, LLC, an Arizona state registered investment advisor. Securities transactions are placed through TD Ameritrade. Insurance and annuity products are offered through Premier Advantage, Inc., DBA Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Investing involves risk. 
including the potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims paying abilities of the insurance carrier. The show is intended for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as advice or recommendations. Due to show format, accuracy, and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Premier Retirement and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice and may only conduct business with residents of states and jurisdictions where they're properly registered.